0: Hi, everyone. This is Dan Cassarella. And I'm Ray Boyd. Before we dive into our Leaving the Nest season one finale with our special guest, Dean David Boardman, we wanted to share this message with all of you. Prior to the release of this episode, our guest, Dean Boardman's beloved wife, Barbara, passed away in March. Her and Dean Boardman met at Northwestern and married in 1984. Their journey together took them from the Midwest to the Pacific Northwest and then here to Philadelphia. Barbara graduated from the Medill School of Journalism at Northwestern in 1979 and went on to become a reporter, an editor, an educator, and a true lover of the written word. She was a tireless supporter of Klein College
1: and her impact on the school was felt by many. After her passing, Klein College and Temple University established the Barbara Winslow Boardman Scholarship to help honor Barbara and provide financial assistance to students who aspire to use journalism to make the world a better place, much like Barbara did. If you'd like to contribute to the scholarship, your support will enable the college to honor David Boardman's beloved wife and help students follow in Barbara's footsteps to achieve their dreams. For more information on how to contribute to this scholarship, visit giving.temple.edu slash Barbara Boardman. We'll also drop a link in the show notes for you so you can just easily access it there.
0: We express our deepest condolences to the Boardman family and we are dedicating this season of Leaving the Nest to Barbara Boardman's memory.
1: And now, our latest episode. Ray, we did it. School is out. It is the season finale of Leaving the Nest. We made it to the finish line. We ran we made all the, the way line. through all the way through the tape. I couldn't be couldn't be more proud. Uh, much like college, I'm sure you aced your classes, and I probably did not. <laughs> I mean, it's something like that. C's get degrees, Dan. That's what they taught us. I'd like to say I, I did get an honors GPA, but it's more fun to play the slacker. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you just see, you just like playing a character. You know, at the end yeah. of the day, we were both bringing home A's. That That's a given.
1: That's a given because we had uh, great leadership, great professors, and... Great mentors, much like the alumni we interviewed all throughout this season. Nice little turnaround. I did that well. <laughs> Before we conclude our finale, did you have a takeaway from one of our interviewees this season that kind of gave you a little bit of
0: guidance in your career? That's a great question. You know, I think there were so many nuggets all throughout the season that that really stuck out to me. Um, obviously, we spoke to some amazing guests uh, this season. One of the episodes that really stuck with me was actually the last episode, episode seven, uh, where you interviewed John DeCarlo. Some of the points that he made about the impact of student media and the opportunities that that affords to students to be able to really get their feet wet before they even step into uh, the professional world really resonated with me. That's, That's something that I've talked about a lot throughout this season, how WHIP, the Temple News, the Templar, all the different things I got to do while in school was such an amazing learning experience. And I think my big takeaway is that you really never stop learning. And so if you can carry that attitude that you have when you're in college, in student media, in your classes, the ability to just be a sponge and take things in and learn throughout your entire career, that's something you can reach whatever heights you set for yourself if you keep that attitude. And so that's something I think I'm gonna take away from this season for sure.
1: Absolutely. I think the guest that resonated with me the most other than when I was interviewed because I thought that was a fascinating and insightful interview we were (laughs) wise was from Danielle Kahn, and one of the things that really stuck with me was she was talking about the importance of mentorship and the importance of leaning on your connections and finding your connections and using these people as advisors. Everybody we interview on this show, and everybody you see who is successful, they got to where they <clears throat> they got to where they are because of the people around them, because of the people they chose to help support them and the advice they got and no one does it alone. no single person is a success from pop stars to presidents. Everybody has a group behind them pushing them and I think in today's digital landscape and in a media landscape where everyone is so focused on their own brand, it's easy to forget to ask for help, to ask for advice and to get support. And I think that's always a a great thing to remind yourself. And I cannot think of a better way to end this season than by getting a little bit of a, a state of the union, if you will, from Klein College's own Dean David Boardman. Now, we sat down with Dean Boardman in, I think, February. I think it was right before the Super Bowl. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. What a Uh, time. What a time. Still optimistic about that Super Bowl. You can hear it in our voices. Um, But Dean Boardman touches upon his past, his career at the Seattle Times, Go Sonics, and one of the things that resonated with me as we talk and reflect about this season is how do you go from one career to another? And he went from journalism publishing to higher ed. And even though that's still in a media background, still very different. And he provided a lot of insight from his own background on how you make that transition. He gave us updates about Klein College, including their new building and their new programs. And he also has a really interesting tidbit about what he did after college, which I never knew. And I wish I knew be- starting the interview because I would have done a whole episode on that. Yeah, I think there's some fantastic
0: tidbits in this interview. I won't give too much away as obviously people are getting ready to dive into it, but it was really fascinating to get to talk to the leader of Klein college at this time, especially all throughout this season. We've talked about the impact that Klein has had on so many of our careers. And it was a really interesting perspective to hear from someone whose job it is to not only make sure that Klein is positioned to teach educate and produce people right now who want to come out of, you know, communication school into communications roles, but the future of Klein and what that could look like five, 10, 15, 20 years from now, who knows what that will be, (laughs) but he's the person who's influencing it right now. And and I think that people are really going to enjoy some of the
1: tidbits that he shares. Absolutely. So without further ado, Dean David Portman. Dean Boardman, thank you so much for joining us today. It's
2: my pleasure. Thank you, Dan and Ray.
1: Of course. Now, the one thing I'm always curious about with the role of the dean, because I think about deans in like 70s, 80s movies, always like yelling at the kids on the quad and getting pranked. Can you speak about what a dean does and speak to your role of the dean of Klein College?
2: Yeah, I mean, the dean is is basically like the chief executive officer of a school or college within the larger university. So I'm responsible to make sure that that we make our budget to provide the sort of leadership that gives the school a good strategic vision and then make sure that we adhere to that vision. I take it further, I have to say, than I think most deans do. I mean, I came from outside higher education and... As far as I'm concerned, the role of the dean also has to be in a way to, to be the, the big brother or the papa figure for, for the whole school, for the employees, from faculty, staff, and students. And the best part of the job for me is connecting with students. So one, one of the things I did when I got here is I, I started a dean's student advisory council so that I could hear very directly from the students. And we populate that with students from all majors, all grades, undergraduate and and graduate. I do spend a lot of time just connecting with the students, in particular, given my background, really try to help them with the career counseling, mentoring, and making sure that they're prepared to, to leave here into great careers. Something I hadn't mentioned that really is a big part of my job as well is fundraising. I spend probably 40 to 50% of my time raising money for the various initiatives and programs that that we want to undertake here.
1: Now, you were speaking about your background earlier, and I remember when you were announced as a dean and I was a student, I was so fascinated because you were the editor-in-chief at the Seattle Times, you had a 30-year career in journalism, and then you come into higher education. How did you come to that decision to not only transfer industries, but also move from the Pacific Northwest to the Northeast?
2: yeah it's it's an interesting tale. So, yeah, I had had this really wonderful, satisfying career in Seattle. I started as a reporter and I worked up through the ranks of the Seattle Times. was fortunate enough to be involved in some pretty significant stories over the years as an investigative journalist, including four stories that that won Pulitzer Prizes. And because of that, I had the opportunity over the years to go to The New York Times or The Washington Post. but Chose always to stay in Seattle because I really loved working for that particular newspaper, which was a family-owned newspaper, really committed to quality. And I loved Seattle and the Pacific Northwest until I didn't on both fronts. (laughs) There came a time in around 2011, 2012, where the newspaper industry and that particular company, which did not have very deep pockets because it was a family-owned newspaper, started to experience some really serious financial woes and over the course of time i had to lay off more than 100 people many of whom were my close friends people i'd hired in some cases people who had hired me it was really miserable i would lie awake at night every night and and see their faces i was at a point in my career where i said you know i don't want to just manage decline and chase nickels around the newsroom floor. So I was looking for a way to impact this profession that I love so much and that I think is so important and essential in a a different way and to try to elevate above the the day-to-day grind. At the same time, I had for, at that point, for about 15 years, I had been involved in the council that accredits schools of journalism and mass communication And in fact, at one point I had been the president of that council. And because of that, I guess, I got on the radar of headhunters and I got a a search firm call about this dean job at Temple University. All I knew about Temple University at the time was John Chaney because I'm a big college basketball fan. This would have been in 2013. And so I did some research, I did some Skype interviews, and made the finals and they brought me out here for in-person interviews. They had always had PhD deans for the most part. So I was an unusual candidate, but I fell in love with the place in about 10 minutes. And apparently they liked me well enough to offer me the job. Now, Dean Boardman, it's
0: it's so cool to hear about your career journey through journalism and the transition into to being a dean are there skills that you picked up along the way as a journalist, as a leader of journalists, that you feel like you regularly apply to
2: your job now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are a lot of commonalities and then there are some significant differences. The, the, the commonalities and what I feel I was real, really able to bring here is that ultimately leadership is leadership. And a big part of leadership is the ability to, to listen to people, to synthesize what their perspectives and and advice and dreams and initiatives and complaints are into something that looks like a a strategic plan and and then to be able to execute on it. I always had worked in unionized newsrooms where the employees had a significant voice. It it, It is a little bit different in the academy in that the faculty really has much more shared governance, shared power. Things take a lot longer to make them happen. But that's not all bad. That part of the power of a university is the consistency, the constancy over time, the protection of certain sorts of values. If if all you did at a university was respond to sort of current pressures and external pressures, you would, you would lose some of the most fundamental important principles. And, and, and particularly, I think, education around theory and fundamentals. You might just be chasing the latest technology and, you know, let's teach Google Glass. Well, two years later, Google Glass is gone. And what did you spend your time on? So it, it's a different environment in that way, but I've I found it not that hard to to adjust to. And so you touched
0: on some of the commonalities there. I think another sort of through line is that you've definitely been around some High caliber journalists, high caliber journalism programs, you yourself being a product of a very highly regarded program at, at Northwestern. In the grand scheme of journalism, communications programs across the country, what makes Klein special in your view? And what would you want alums to know about the program that that they represent?
2: Yeah, there are several things that really make this place special. And some of it has existed for a long time and i think some of it we frankly have have really honed in on and and improved dramatically over the nine years i've been here probably the the greatest hallmark of the program and one of the things that really sets it apart many journalism and communication programs tend to fall into one extreme or the other they're either like entirely practice focused and almost vocational or they're very theory and research and scholarly focused. And we have built here, I think, a magical mix of of three sorts of faculty. We do have great scholar researchers here, some world-class scholars, some of the greatest in the world are, are right here. Even those people almost entirely have some industry experience before they went on to get their PhDs but they're they're really great researchers. So those are the people who give our students a really strong foundation in, in theory and, and critical thinking. Then we have a segment of our faculty who have extensive experience in the field. And I would be one of those people. Another example would be Aaron Pilhofer, who was the the chief digital officer for The Guardian and and helped build the whole digital operation and data operation at The New York Times. Larry Staines, you know, who was the editor of of Men's Journal. Paul Gluck, you know, has a long and distinguished career in television. Lots of people like that. And then we have another class of faculty who are adjuncts, who are people who are actively working in these professions right now, in journalism, in advertising, in public relations, and they help us stay extremely current. They'll teach the students in the latest trends, in the latest technologies, and they help keep our faculty up to speed. So not many schools have that mix. So that's one of the things that really makes us special. Another would be, and this is something that I think we really have changed in the time I came here. When I arrived, I would say that The school had really good bones, but it didn't have a distinctive identity. Frankly, a lot of what we did and and how we taught and what our curriculum involved and even how we presented ourselves, it could have been in Nebraska or it could have been in Oregon. There wasn't something uniquely sort of Philadelphia and urban about it. And we went through a, a process over the course of about a year with the faculty and staff where we asked, okay, what would make a a student or a prospective faculty member, not only in Philly or Collingswood, but in Chicago or LA or Beijing to want to come here and what makes us special? And we really have built a program around the role of communication in urban life and what all these disciplines that we teach here, most obviously journalism, but also public relations, advertising, what we call communication and social influence, how all of these disciplines can be brought to bear on the the most vexing challenges of urban life in the 21st century. And then the final piece that kind of springs from that is we put a very big emphasis on experiential learning for our students. The products they produce are not just for the classroom. They're not just for the professor to look at on her computer screen and then, and then trash. But they are products that actually are with and for the benefit of the community. So we have a great program we call Philadelphia Neighborhoods, where students are out working in the neighborhood, producing content in neighborhoods that are largely news deserts otherwise. We started websites in Kensington and Germantown, neighborhoods that only get covered by the mainstream media when something horrible happens there. Well, our students learn to to produce content for those neighborhoods that help those people live better lives. And now we have handed off those websites to those communities and they're, they're operating them. What I'll mention as the final piece that sets us apart from a lot of programs, our students get jobs. Over the last five years, we are in a a very sort of year to year, depending on what's happening with the economy. But we are between 80 and 90 percent placement rate of our students coming right out of college and getting great jobs in
1: the field. That's excellent. When you're talking about building these curriculums, the media landscape, having gone digital, changes so quickly. And during the pandemic, you know, TikTok becomes a new trend and now you can learn how to write, edit, produce everything with that app. How do you and the faculty adopt a curriculum based on a media landscape that is constantly evolving in real time?
2: That's a great question. And, and different schools do it differently. And I think the way we approach it is, is smarter than most in that we don't get hung up on teaching a particular technology because we know there's a good chance that technology won't even be around in two years and something else will will replace it. We want students to understand the underpinnings of technology and to be really comfortable moving from one mode to another to another. Uh, we're not trying to teach you just one mode of delivery. We're trying to teach you, first of all, like the real foundations of of theory and and how to think critically. Then we want you to to use enough technology and we have a lot of current technology around here. But to use it so that you're comfortable and and so that you're confident and when the next thing comes along, you can adapt to that.
0: That's great. When you're thinking about, you know, the future of Klein and and future students, prospective students who might be deciding on where the where they want to go for their education, how do you make choices and decisions for a student that's maybe 10 years from now coming to Klein or 15 years from now? It sort of relates to that changing nature of the industry, but also, you know, thinking about maybe economic decisions that families might be making or, you know, just so many variables, I imagine, that come into play when you're planning the future of, of an institution like Klein.
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously, we don't know what the future looks like. And part of what we say to prospective students and, and their families is these, these industries are obviously changing very quickly. Uh, and they are needing to be reinvented, and this is a place where you can help reinvent them. Not only what the activity that we have at the at the school, but many of us are involved in that very endeavor of of working on the future of these industries. As you know, I'm the founding chair of the Lenfest Institute for Journalism that happens to own the newspaper that Ray works for. (laughs) So we invest heavily in in the technology and and the tools that the Inquirer and other media around the city, ethnic media, neighborhood media, public media, need to be successful in the future. So there's opportunities for students to to get involved in, in those sorts of endeavors and to really help invent a new future. People are anxious, there's no question. When they come here, they're anxious. Is my kid gonna get a job? I'm able to show them these figures that yes, your kid will get a job. And try to help students look at this as an exciting challenge rather than as something that should be scary.
0: I wanted to ask about Klein's efforts and commitment around diversity. I know that's something that, as a you know current professional journalist, has been top of mind over the last couple of years. I think the profession is going through a reckoning it probably should have a long time ago. So I wonder how that's manifested at the at the college level and, and what Klein has done to sort of advance efforts there.
2: Yeah, I, I'm really, really proud of what we have done in the space of diversity, equity, and inclusion. We come by the numbers for diversity, particularly of our student body, sort of naturally by where we are. You can't go on autopilot for it, but it, it's obviously easier for us to attract a diverse student body, say, than it might be in state college. So we have to work to maintain that. But more than that, we, we have to focus on what is the experience of those students once they're here? Do they really feel included? Do they really feel cared for and and nurtured? And are their voices heard in the same way that that... White students' voices have historically been heard. So it begins with that. then it then we look at our faculty, and that you really do need to work at. If you don't come by having a diverse faculty naturally, you really have to aggressively go out and cultivate people and and recruit very aggressively and and thoughtfully. We have built a very diverse faculty here across the entire school. And then probably most importantly is, is our curriculum and what is it that we're teaching and how is it that we're teaching it? And we make sure that, that DEI is part of, of every classroom, every class that was recognized in 2018 when we won the nation's top award from our academic association for diversity, equity, inclusion. And the judges noted that DEI just courses through everything we do here, that it's not just about quotas or the numbers.
0: You spoke a little bit about the Philadelphia media landscape in particular. I think back to when I was deciding where I was going to go to school, and I knew I wanted to major in journalism. Temple was high on my list because of the fact that it was in Philadelphia. Other schools that I looked at were outside of the city. I was from Philadelphia, so proximity played a role. But there was something about coming to a school that was in a major media market there are newsmakers around, storytellers around. It felt like it was the place to be, as opposed to you know maybe a school that's sort of, for lack of a better term, in the middle of nowhere. Could you speak a little bit to the opportunities that are afforded to students because of the fact that Philadelphia is this is Temple's home, and and there's so much going on here and so many stories to tell.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Our biggest competitors are Penn State. Syracuse, well, Penn State and Syracuse are our two biggest. Um, And those are two very fine programs. But the experience is entirely different and in part because of being right here in Philadelphia. As you both know, if you know, you you can have internships or part time jobs year round. There are students who come out of here with 10, 11, 12 internships over the course of their, their time and you present that resume at the end of four years versus a student who's maybe had one or two internships, there's no contest. Beyond that, the opportunities even in the classroom to use Philadelphia as this laboratory of whether it's for advertising, public relations, uh, nonprofit work, and certainly journalism. It's, It's right here in our backyard, and there are so many amazing stories to tell. And it's such an amazing city. I have fallen in love with this city. So many people said, like, wait a minute, you move from Seattle? Because Seattle has this image as one of the coolest cities in the world, and in many ways it is. But you know, this city has so much soul and texture. It's mm-hmm. it's it's a friendlier city in many ways than, than the Pacific Northwest is. I tell my friends in Seattle, people in Philly are way more likely to flip you off. But they're also way more likely, and I've had this experience, to say, hey, buddy, you look lost, walk you the eight blocks that you're going, tell you their life story, and invite you to dinner. And for students to come here and have that experience, is it's unique.
1: Absolutely. And Philadelphia has an NBA team, so you can't just come back.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's a very big thing to me. And and now it's turned into the great greatest sports city in America. So who wouldn't want to be here? Exactly.
1: There's so much passion in Philadelphia. I mean, it's no coincidence that Ray and I went to Temple and we're both back in Philadelphia working in different capacities. And that was something I thought about a lot when I graduated, which is where to go and what path forward I'll have. And that looks a lot different in 2015 than it does in 2023. What are some of the biggest challenges that current client graduates have? And how is the school directly addressing those and working with them to, to meet them?
2: Well, since when you were here, and that was that was in my early time here, at that point, our career services office consisted of one halftime person. And we brought in Luanne Kahn, who was a, a distinguished, celebrated investigative television reporter. And she has built an amazing operation here in our career services office, where we now have Um, so much more guidance and opportunity for our students along the way. The training and preparation that we provide now begins in in freshman year. We have something called Klein Rising, where every freshman is required to take a seminar course that prepares them for their experience at Temple, for the challenges they'll face along their, their four years here. And from the very beginning, gets them thinking about what their career preparation ought to look like and what their resume that they build here ought to look like. The challenges are huge, obviously. These are all very dynamic industries. The news business changes every day. It is something that I have no doubt will continue to exist because it has to for our democracy to exist. But the The conditions, the job opportunities are far different. It's much harder to be on autopilot here than it used to be. Students really need to take control of of their own destinies. But the tools that we provide for them to do so are far greater than they used to be also.
0: You mentioned the tools. One thing that's really been standing out to me the last couple of years, kind of reengaging with Klein, being closer to the school as an alum are some of the new programs that the school is offering and I was wondering if you could tell our listeners a little bit about two of them in particular and I I'm, I'm sure I'm missing others but the Logan Center for Urban Investigative Reporting and the Claire Smith Center for Sports Media I I find both of those to be amazing advancements for the school so I was wondering if you could you know talk a little bit about both of those
2: Yeah very happy to do so so I'll start with the second one the Claire Smith Center for Sports Media a hallmark of this school for a very long time has has been our sports curriculum. And if you look at almost anybody in sports media in this town, most of them went to Temple. Uh, that said, again, our competitors have very high profile sports journalism, sports media programs. Penn State does, Syracuse does, Maryland does. And we didn't. We had, we had curriculum, but it's, it was kind of spread out across departments all over the school. There was nothing. You, you, When you graduated, you didn't have any kind of designation that you had focused on that. It's not a major that's available. And, and it was really, I think, handicapping our students versus their students. And it was really handicapping us and attracting students who are interested in sports journalism and sports media. So I had the idea, we need to bring all these things together under a a single umbrella. It's always good to have a name. It's always good to have a high-profile person associated with one of these. And frankly, it also helps you raise the money you need to really build a program like this. And so I had a very unusual idea because normally in a university setting, programs or buildings or schools are only named after somebody who writes a big check. In this case, we have this magnificent alumna named Claire Smith, who is the First woman recognized by the National Baseball Hall of Fame in its uh, sports writers' wing. She was a longtime baseball writer who worked for the Philadelphia Inquirer, the Philadelphia Bulletin, the Hartford Current, the New York Times, and then ultimately for ESPN, a career of more than 40 years covering baseball, and a really beloved, amazing person who went to Temple University. I approached her as to whether she would have an interest in helping us build this center and helping and and perhaps coming here to run it. She did. And over the next two years, we raised more than a million dollars to build this center. Then we recruited another great sports alum, Mark Zuma, the longtime Philadelphia 76ers announcer, to join us as the associate director, along with Claire. And John DiCarlo, who many of you know, who has run our student media, is the co-director. And we're taking off. So now students can come here. They can get a certificate in sports media. It's a, it's a very defined program. And they can learn all aspects of sports media when they, when they walk out of there. The other is newer. We just started this year. It's called the Logan Center for Urban Investigative Reporting. This was funded by a gift from a foundation called the Jonathan Logan Family Foundation out of Berkeley, California. And the idea behind this one is to really change the paradigm around investigative reporting. Investigative journalism has largely been the purview of white males who parachute into communities, often communities of color, shine the spotlight on a problem, meaning very well and hope that the problem gets addressed. Sometimes it does, most often it doesn't, and then they leave the community and the community feels worse about itself than it did before the investigation was done. So we had this idea, let's let's change that paradigm. Let's let's start at the street level. Let's find out what the community would like to see addressed. There are certainly plenty of problems in in urban environments that need to be investigated but let's let's engage the community, elevate their voices, and do it in a way that's very solutions focused. doesn't just stop with the problem, but looks at potential solutions to problems. We went out and and recruited a magnificent woman to run this. A longtime Philadelphia reporter, Yvonne Laddie. She came back here and has launched the program, and they just produced their their first really magnificent piece of journalism that they did in partnership with WHYY, which was a five-part podcast on Stop and Frisk called Stop and Frisk, uh, Revisit or Resist. And it, it did exactly this sort of approach that we've talked about.
1: Nice. You also have these alumni coming in and not just helping shape these curriculums, but literally teaching classes. You have Mark Zumoff, Claire Smith, How are these alumni using their field experience to help shape future professionals in these fields where they've had so much success?
2: For a student to be able to be taught by these giants of the profession, you know, imagine what that's like. And to be able to see themselves in these people in the front of the classroom. For an aspiring play-by-play announcer to be able to say, wow, 30 years ago, Mark Zumoff was sitting in this chair and then he went on to have this amazing career for a, a woman or a person of color or, or a, a black female to be able to look at Claire Smith and say, look at this pioneer and what she had to overcome to get where she is. And, you know, it should be easier for me. And, you know, I'm inspired by her. Nice. Another
1: thing everybody wants to talk about, everyone wants
2: to know about. What is
1: the current status of the Klein College building that's being constructed on campus? And can we expect the Ray Boyd wing? When is that going to be there?
2: <laughs> yeah, we can expect the Ray Boyd wing as soon as he sends a check over. I for was sure. going to say, I'll, I'll <laughs> write a check to make that happen. All his podcast money. And and you know uh, the name Casarella Hall is still available for pro- probably for about ten million, I think. Sure, for, I'll check my bank go. account. <laughs> so yeah, we are in line. It's still somewhat preliminary approval, but we have architectural plans. We we are we have some state money that's committed, and we've raised millions of dollars already from donors. We have plans to build. A brand new, just really beautiful landmark building out on Broad Street, uh, most likely on the west side of Broad Street, that will become a a real showpiece for Temple University. And and the plan is for it to be a joint building for the Klein College of Media and Communication and what's called the Center for the Performing and Cinematic Arts. It will be a new home for the Tomlinson Theater and uh, and for the all of the programs in uh, cpca including some programs from the boyer college of music and dance the and theater film and media arts and then all of our programs we we desperately need it you know we have maintained Annenberg hall as as best we can but it it's pretty much the same building as as it is when as it was when it opened in 1967 and again from a competitive standpoint, it all of our competitors have, have new and much more technologically up-to-date buildings than we do. So we we really, really need it. And I'm optimistic that that will, will be up and running five years from now.
0: Nice. Well, that's exciting to hear. And I'm sure Dan and I can't wait to uh, cut the ribbon on our wings yeah. when those,
1: when those <laughs> open up. Yeah, we'll um, make 10 mil easy in five years. <laughs> you are also the 2022... Uh, Administrator of the year in the Scripps Howard Award. Congratulations! And as you said, that that award recognizes excellence in leading journalism and communications program. You are now going all over the country and the world advocating for that. What does that honor mean to you personally, and what does it say about Klein status among the other media schools?
2: Yeah, I have to say, I mean, it's a funny-sounding award, Administrator of the Year, but but what it is is you know it it's. All the deans and directors of journalism and communication schools around the country are eligible for this award, and it's chosen by peers. And I have to say, it meant as much to me as winning a Pulitzer Prize, because for somebody like me who came directly from industry and who doesn't have a terminal degree, I have only a master's degree, it felt like both acceptance for me personally into this fraternity of scholars. But it also very much, and more importantly, reflected the respect that Klein now has among programs around the country. And so many people have told me that, wow, you guys are doing really exciting things there. And how can we replicate some of what you're doing?
1: Absolutely. And and obviously, an award like that means a storied career. This podcast, Ray and I created it because we want to help current students, current alumni kind of navigate the anxieties of finding a job and, and finding yourself in your career. And I'm wondering, as we wrap up, when you first graduated, what piece of advice or what skill helped guide you to give you confidence throughout those uncertain times in your own life?
2: Yeah, when, when I graduated, so I graduated from this you know, high, highly reputed program, the Medill School of Journalism at Northwestern. And, you know, I got a good education, although I would say that we give an even better one here at Temple. But then I, I had a minor in African studies. I went off to Africa and, and worked on a, a Peace Corps-like program. And I came back and followed a woman to the Northwest, who, by the way, is, is my wife today, many years later and i got a job on a little weekly newspaper in the san juan islands it was a five thousand circulation newspaper i was the only news reporter i mean i covered everything i covered city council school board police i wrote the wedding announcements i had to learn to spell stephanotis and baby's breath you know the kind of flowers that the bride carried i mean i did everything but the the fundamental things that i learned there that it was that i couldn't learn in a classroom and that has stuck with me every single day since is the impact that journalism has on people's lives you write about somebody and then in a town like that you see them at the lunch counter the next day and you better have gotten the facts right <laughs> you better have gotten the nuance right you better have had in your mind what good will this story do and what harm could it do if i don't get it right and those are the lessons that that i learned early on that have carried me through i know the decades since and that you know i try to help impart on our students here
1: awesome well thank you so much for your time
2: I, i just want to say i'm so grateful to you guys as alums for doing this i think it's a great program And it's another thing that I guess I would want to mention is the opportunities for our alums, people who are listening to get involved with the college. Please just reach out to us and let us know. We welcome your support, your assistance in any way that you can. Our alumni base is one of the greatest virtues and assets of this college, the passion people have for, for Klein and for Temple. And we're really grateful for that
1: Absolutely. You can always come on this podcast.
2: All right. (laughs) Thanks, guys.
1: Uh, Of course. Thank you for having us. Thank you to our guest, Dean David Boardman, for joining us. Leaving the Nest is hosted and produced by Dan Cassarella and Ray Boyd. Javon Edmonds is our engineer producer. Aaron McGinn is our associate producer. Our intro music is Strolling by Janny Johnson. Special thanks to the Temple University Klein College Alumni Board. This show is made possible by a grant from the Temple University Alumni Association. Thank you for staying with us for all these episodes, and we look forward to talking to you next fall. And thank you to my friend,
2: Ray Boyd.